0: You finally made it through all the rooms and puzzles, keys, maps, and compasses. You've made good use of your newest item and defeated the mightiest of enemies, the boss. There before you is your reward, a treasure chest that's bigger than any other chest you've seen before. As you open it, the light pours over you. What's inside? It's video game showtime. Welcome to Video Game Showtime. This is the first episode of this new podcast and we are more excited than ever to talk about all things video games. This week we have enjoyed watching all the going-ons of GDC, the Game Developers Conference, which takes place once a year and sees all the greatest game designers and creators that we love congregating together to teach each other more about the process of making video games and we're going to explore that today in today's podcast. We are Alec, Sarah, Sam, and I am Michael. What we like to do is start off by talking about the games that we have been playing recently. So Alec, what game have you been playing? So I've actually been playing a couple
1: of different games since we did the first episode. I tried Undertale And I'll probably talk most about that. It's really, really good in the first half of the game. There is, and I should give a spoiler warning, probably for the next two minutes. The, I I won't spoil anything super heavy though. The first half of the game is really fun. The boss fights, and I am doing the pacifist route. The, The boss fights are incredibly engaging. The, it's almost like a platformer while doing the boss fights and they keep getting better. Uh, the characters are witty, and really the the area, especially Snowden, was really charming, and just had a lot to explore. And there's a lot of secrets in the caves. And then I got up to the un- Undine, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Boss fight. That was an incredibly fun boss fight. And then after that, the game is just completely downhill, and it's I I do not want to beat it. And it might be that I'm doing the pacifist route, but past in past the Hotlands. The Hotlands is just incredibly tedious and boring and drab, and the characters are downright annoying. You're stopped every five seconds for really random, you know, the random LOL jokes, and it's really irritating. Uh, I'm to the, I don't even remember the name of the bot, oh, the the one bot, the, the second boss fight for the one bot. Um Metaton, and it's just downright irritating on pacifist mode. and I feel like I should try to beat it, but at this point, I don't really want to. And it's kind of disappointing for how fun the first half of the game was. And not a lot changed other than I feel like the game is trying to it's no longer trying to reward you for doing the pacifist route. It's trying to make you go away from the pacifist route. Which, I get the point in the narrative why it would do that, but at the same time, it's kind of irritating game design to be, to not reward the player, to reward the player in narrative only and not in gameplay, is just extremely frustrating. Now, positive, I tried Splatoon 2, the demo just for Nintendo Switch, just launched two days ago i've been playing too much splatoon 2 for my own good (laughs) it is incredibly fun i did not realize how charming and how colorful the world was there's so much depth to it to all the unlockables and as somebody who's kind of growing more and more into collecting a lot of things i really like it i like monster hunter a lot and the nickname for that game is fashion
0: hunter the same can be said about splatoon 2 Yeah, Splatoon 2 is totally one of those games that I think every Switch owner probably needs to play at least once, and that's interesting what you say about Undertale, because I think that's the first time I've heard it criticized, which is a good thing, because no game is perfect, and it's interesting that you've exposed a place where the design could have been improved a bit more. Sarah, what have you been playing?
2: So, uh, shortly before starting this podcast, I actually finished up Bayonetta, um, On the Xbox 360. I actually enjoyed this game a lot. I was not expecting to really, I just kind of dove in um, because I had it, and I actually had quite a bit of fun with it. It is kind of your typical hack and slash beat-em-up game, but it's actually really accessible for first-time or beginner players into the genre like myself. The characters are over the top and wild, the story is over the top and wild, the entire game is pretty over the top, but combos are really fun to hit when you start kind of getting into the groove of hitting combos and uh, just knocking out enemies over enemies, and uh, the witch time mechanic is my personal favorite part of the gameplay, because it's when you hit a dodge From an enemy's attack just right, uh, you'll get Witch Time, which basically uh, slows everything down, which can allow you to get some really sweet combos on people. And it's a lot of fun. I would recommend it for people who are interested in the game, uh, haven't really played hack and slashes before, or are interested. It's pretty good for first time players into the genre, as I mentioned. It was a great experience. I actually really loved the soundtrack. That was, surprisingly, that kind of ended up becoming a really, not not super important aspect, but something that really added to my enjoyment of the game is uh, hearing certain tracks just play during boss fights and stuff like that really kind of kept me motivated because I'm not that great at hack and slashes. So yeah, Bayonetta. It's fun.
0: You know, that's the first time I've heard a lot about its gameplay. Usually when people talk about Bayonetta, they usually, first of all, haven't played it. And secondly, are usually talking about in the context of Super Smash Brothers or something like that. But, I, you know, this game sounds awesome. This is something I think I'll have to check out too. Yeah,
2: I, I did enjoy it. It wasn't a super long game. I believe I was around 15 hours, I think, at finish. Not terribly long uh, for your average game
0: yeah that's a really good length i'll have to check it out sam what have you been
3: playing i've been hitting up Burnout paradise on xbox 360 as well this is the original version of the recent remastered one um and i'm really loving it i described i think i described it did we do it if on our episode zero it was like an n64 collect-a-thon. now i put some more time into it i'm ready to put that silly description away it's not it's um it's a genuinely clever open world racer, and I love the way that it transitions so simply from the, the single player experience to the online multiplayer experience. So the the game is set in one massive open world city called Paradise City, and on every single intersection, interjunction, every single crossing, I don't... I don't use these American terms. Every, every every single um every single traffic light, there's a um there's a race. And every single road has a best time record and every single road has a best um showtime record as well, which is the which is the the biggest crash measured in how much um amount of dollars of um damage you cause. I've I've just about wrapped up everything there is to do in the single player, but Wherever you are on the map, you can just jump in to an online game and you'll spawn in the same place, but with um, other people online playing with you. Um, And there's a load of challenges to do. There's a load of co-op tasks to do as well, which is I've never played a co-op car game before. It's really fun. I'm genuinely surprised that it hasn't been remembered or it, it was sort of the death of the Burnout franchise. There hasn't been a burnout game since. I know Criterion went on to Need for Speed, which, which always had historically bigger setting numbers, but I can't believe that the franchise died in what was a really good, clever game.
0: Yeah, it sounds really good. And how long was it
3: about? I reckon I I took about, I think the credits rolled at about 20 hours in, but a lot of that time was spent just driving around exploring the city, not actually engaging in the challenges. it's 100% a single player. It took me about 50-ish hours. Wow, okay, so it's a good-sized game. Yeah, and then I still got the multiplayer on top of that, so it's, it's Yeah, it's it sounds fun. like a
0: game that would be really appealing even today, where a lot of games really focus on online in particular, and it sounds like it has such a significant online component, it's strange that they let that fall by the wayside. So the game I've been playing is and remains Hollow Knight and I've been taking forever both because it's a huge game and because I've been really busy the past few weeks but Hollow Knight is just probably one of the best indies in the last decade even I'm I'm very very excited about this game and I think it's some of the best things we've seen out of indie studios and the map is huge which i always love whenever the world is big the gameplay is just amazing Uh, the combat the various abilities and move sets you get as you go along and the story is unlike anything i've ever ever experienced before in that it's kind of an inductive inductive story is what I would say. As you go along, you just discover little bits and pieces and the game doesn't tell you really anything about itself. I even at this point, and I think I'm 50% of the way through at this point, I still don't know what's going on. And that's probably one of the most interesting design concepts I've encountered recently. So I'm really excited about this game. I can't wait to finish it and be able to say more. But until then, we're going to turn now to Alec, who is going to share the first big story.
1: So I'm going to take us to the future of gaming. And I hope I'm not serious when I say that, because the future (laughs) is scary. So Google this week decided to announce Google Stadia. Google Stadia is their streaming service and it's kind of more so than just google announcing this we saw xbox microsoft in particular retort with hey we're gonna have a big e3 we've heard rumors of amazon doing their own game streaming thing and that's what this is this is game streaming and it's kind of the future of where these big companies want to take this as much as I like the idea, so so to present the idea in a positive light, first of all, is the concept is that you no longer have to have a console. So somebody like me who has, I don't have the worst laptop, but it has a weak graphics card, and because it has a weak graphic card, I can't play all the games that I would like to play, which is okay. But this would allow me to basically, with the power of the internet, stream any game and run it at near to full capability with the internet sounds pretty neat except for when you look at the technicalities of it i am fortunate enough to live in in a fairly metropolitan urban area uh, not a lot of people are uh, you got to look at the midwest the south even even in this i'm in washington state and even when you get over to eastern washington or up north there's a lot of areas that have fairly spotty coverage at times so even though you might have internet I don't know how these people are going to be able to stream games. And I don't think if more and more companies start to look to go away from the console and go internet streaming or digital only, I think that's going to hurt a large segment of the population and uh, kind of of make gaming a quote-unquote silicon valley experience where you have to have access to the latest technology to be able to experience it and that's never what gaming has been about it's always been about whoever can jump into the worlds created by really whoever and just have a fun time experiencing that or playing with friends so that's a little bit of the pros and the cons of google stadia uh, what are some of your guys' thoughts on this? Either positive or negative? Is this is it, am I being melodramatic in saying that if this is the future, it's doom and gloom?
3: I don't think that it's necessarily a, a barrier for um, most people, or even an accessibility barrier. We're talking about here where people won't have the best internet connections to be able to do this, but it's it is a trade-off where. Most people don't have the money to spend on an expensive gaming rig or consoles are a massive investment and games are a massive investment. So different types of services will make gaming more accessible to more people. And if you can run Assassin's Creed Odyssey as the post this child example on a a simple Chromecast and it's also coming to tablets and phones as well I believe, you just need to buy a controller. Really, to get into gaming, it's unfortunate that internet services aren't great everywhere, but also as it becomes, as more and more services come that require these things, it's only going to push the demand for great internet everywhere.
2: I'll throw in my two cents. I kind of had to catch up a little bit because I wasn't super on top of the news this week. But I was surprised when I read that they are apparently, uh, Google being they, Google is using Linux as their operating system. That kind of shocked me, and also that they are creating their own uh, studio, which is the uh, Stadia Games and Entertainment Studio. To create exclusive titles. So to me, this almost reads like Google's trying to almost create its own console that is not a console. It's above a console in a way because it's like everything becomes your console in this case with just Chrome.
0: I guess the console's in the cloud. Now... Linux is often used for scenarios like this. It's just not been seen in situations uh, in the entertainment industry, I don't think, unless something like Netflix or Hulu happen to use it too. But it is interesting that they go with Linux. It's a very good operating system for, for use cases like this, where you're dealing with a bunch of devices trying to connect with each other, and one big mass network that's accessing data centers and things like that so it's an interesting choice. I think it's a good choice because it means it'll be a more stable experience. What what's gotten me interested in Stadia is not only the democratization of gaming, which is absolutely amazing, and not really not so much the the problem of internet accessibility. It's it's more so just What partnerships they're going to form So they're emphasizing Ubisoft a lot And that's great because Ubisoft was Already the very first game On the service So when it was and And they were recruiting people To test it out The game used was Assassin's Creed Odyssey And I was a part of the beta And played Assassin's Creed Odyssey On my MacBook Pro uh, Through the Chrome browser And it played wonderfully. Of course, I uh, I have lived in urban areas for a long time now, and the internet is always great in urban areas. Well, relatively speaking, I suppose. But basically, I'm good to go in terms of internet service. And I had no complaints because also in terms of frame rate drops or input delay or or things like, I don't know, the game freezing up or things like that, it really happened maybe, I would seriously say, something like two or three seconds per hour. There would be some sort of minor issue like that that would resolve itself without, any, without me having to do anything. So I, I was surprised by how well it performed. And in regards to the internet service, though, I would say that in the past, whenever new technologies have come out like smartphones, for instance, usually the the actual services provided have had some catching up to do. So for instance, I remember when data maps were horrible, and you could not get service even driving on the interstate just an hour or two outside of the city. So it's really improved since then for for data, just being able to access anything that would utilize internet related services on your smartphone so this is kind of the next iteration of that. Now there's this really high-demand, high-demand service. And so now all the infrastructure they've set up needs to continue to improve. And I do think this is a catalyst to make that happen faster, because without this, there wasn't really that much incentive. Some Because you could even still watch, say, YouTube or Netflix on really low resolution, and it, and you'd be fine. So... So this gaming streaming service really pushes it to the next level. It's an interesting challenge. It'll be really hard to perfect it. But I'm glad that a service like Stadia is here to push push things in the right direction, hopefully.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. And I'm not, even though I, I sounded a little bit more negative towards this, I am generally positive. And I do think that if Google didn't, put out the stadia it's only a matter of time before somebody else did and i think to eventually perfect it there's going to be a lot of rough years in streaming but i think it will become something that a lot of people have access to and it will be a positive moving forward in the future
2: yeah this seems like google here is trying to start uh, start this off with a pretty powerful kick. They already, you know, are pushing partnerships with Ubisoft and reading here. Google is already partnering with Unreal and Unity and even Havoc. So, like, Google seems to be just trying to start this off with a really strong punch and firing on all cylinders to try to get this thing off the ground and actually working, which is actually kind of refreshing, trying to see something... ...pushed forth with, like, everything going for it.
0: And by having the major game engines supporting it... ...it means that a lot of future games might end up on it. So while we wait for them to retrofit older games to it... ...I don't know exactly what's involved with that. Uh, Hopefully, by the game engines just having... ...having easy implementation into this new Google service... ...we'll see a lot of future games eligible at least for for this kind of distribution method
2: taking off from there i think it's time that we stream a little bit of our own game here previous episode we will have a quick game that one of us invented and we will give it a go so this is a game called showtime showdown um, patent not pending basically we're going to have two random video game characters from a large massive list of video game characters we're going to have two chosen and the first character is going to be the character you get and the second character is going to be the character that gives the abilities to the first character. So, for example, if you had uh, your first character be Samus and your second character was Link, uh, Samus would get the abilities of Link. So we're going to have two of us to debate against each other and the other two who are not participating in the debate are going to have to decide which of us debated better for our weird hero mashup. So, are we ready? We're ready. I'm going to run a randomizer and see who it lands on, see who gets to debate each other. All right, Michael and Alec, you two are up first. Are you ready for this?
0: Oh, I hope so.
2: All right, Michael, your characters Oh no uh you have dr kawashima the brain age master and he gets the abilities of bubsy
0: oh my gosh that's amazing
2: i i i am sorry
0: i have to look up
2: the randomizer has no mercy
0: obviously this is great no, I am looking into Bubsy just a little bit. I, as far as I know, this is like platformer-style moves, so jumping on things, and you'll have to tell me if there's anything I'm missing besides that. <laughs> he has the he has the ability to wisecrack. Wisecrack. Exactly. Ah, so in a way, that's kind of good, because... So, do I start debating now, or are we waiting on Alex Pick as well? Or Alex... I'm assignment
2: going to hit I'm going to hit the randomizer and I will give Alec who he gets. All right, Alec, you get conquer from Conquer's Bad Fur Day with the abilities of the Pyramid Head from Silent Hill.
1: Oh lord, <laughs> oh help me. Pyramid Head. Yes. So I've like I'm a total squeamish person and like I hate scary games so I have no idea who Pyramid Head is. This is going to this is going to be interesting. I need to do some quick research so I'm going to let
0: Michael debate first. Okay, so I think I have this in a bag actually. I I think I've ended up with the clear winner here. And the reason is is because Dr. Kawashima is a nebulous head Floating in the ether. And that means it's this all-powerful being with all sorts of unknown facts about it that we just don't know. All we know is it's this floating head. We do know it's a doctor. And we know that, like Bubsy, it can... I suppose we could say he. I just keep saying it because we just don't know what this orb is, but we'll go with he for now. He has this ability to make amazing wisecrack jokes using his unlimited genius. And that means that the possibilities are just endless here. They're, you're not really limited by anything because with your mind you can do anything. So he can think himself out of any situation or and outsmart the enemy. All while making fun of him and perhaps occasionally even jumping on him, as Bubsy probably does. Though I have not played Bubsy, so I do not guarantee that, but that's what I got so far. We're talking nebulous orb genius floating. That's some good stuff right there.
3: Will he be able to float? Will he lose? Does he lose the abilities of Dr. Kawashima by taking on the abilities of.
2: Only in the sense that Dr. Kawashima, I guess, is like a a math master. So he's no longer a math master. He's just a floating head who doesn't stop
0: talking. Oh, that changes things because I was really relying on the unlimited intellect aspect that I was hoping was a component of this. So does that mean that we're left with only Bubsy's wisecracks and that's all we got?
2: You've got the wisecracks. I'm sorry. Oh,
0: okay. Sorry. It's my fault for misunderstanding. So let's revise this then. So we still have the physical form of Dr. Kawashima, which in itself is really intimidating, and it's really hard to figure out what that's all about. So for all we know, this this nebulous orb floating around is going to kick our ass, and we don't really want to risk that. But what we do know is that it's got some really wise crack jokes that sting us to our core. They they know how to find our weaknesses and exploit it, find our insecurities and make us feel really really bad about ourselves. So isn't that really the greatest weapon of all? Physical Physical violence is one thing, but this is flat out cutting straight to our core, hurting our feelings, emotional violence. And that to me seems like a really great way to destroy your enemy. So I'm going to go with that is totally why Dr. Kawashima slash Bubsy is totally going to win. It's not... It's not the nicest way to be a fighter, but hey, physical violence was never nice either, so why not just make fun of your enemy and see how that works out?
2: Alright, Alec, how do you think your bizarre mashup of Conker and Pyramid Head, how's that going to face out?
1: Okay, so we know Conker is, he's a little, he's a squirrel, right? Yes. Okay. So Conker's a little squirrel, so he's automatically, you know, he's squirrely, he can sneak around things, which is perfect for Pyramid Head's demeanor, who is, basically, he haunts you, he comes up and he haunts your dreams. There's the argument in the Silent Hill series that this is the personification of all of James Sunderland's guilt, the main character, and this is all stuff I'm reading on Wikipedia in the last five minutes. Um, so forgive me, Silent Hill fans. But being that, Conker is going to have the ability to have his original jokes, but in the haunting form of Pyramid Head, running around and scaring you. Nobody, Dr. Uh, Kawashima is not going to be able to handle this big or this little creature that has the ability to come up and present you with wisecracks, but also use you know uh, use different things in the environment against him he's he has this style of an executioner so everything automatically becomes a weapon i'm going to assume that he also has the executioner's sword he is you know so if you try to jump on me conquer just going to raise his sword in the air and you're going to fall on a sword so yeah so it's it's real i think both of our characters are kind of we're going to end up more in a battle of wits because i'm not sure if we're going to want to be jumping on each other or swinging swords because because I will give Dr. Kawashima this is that he's probably gonna have an incredible jumping ability because Bubsy has that so you're probably not gonna be I'm not gonna be able to land a sword attack on you but I'm just gonna be able to out haunt you and out spook you I'm gonna be able to get to the core of who you are and make you feel bad about yourself and you'll and then and then he'll go cry in a corner and I'll win because I'm conquer. With pyramid head's ability, <laughs> that is the most random thing
0: ever. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this is a very emotional battle. I see, we got here.
2: <laughs> so we've boiled it down to a battle of wits. Um, Sam, do you wanna put your vote in first for who you think has the better battle plan?
3: I don't. I don't buy that. Bubsy can be as cruel. As um, Michael hopes, he is. Um, <laughs> he's definitely, he's definitely got a mean attitude and a sarcastic wit. But I don't think he can definitely. I don't think he can delve into the psyche <laughs> that is needed to conquer Pyramid Head. Conquer.
2: <laughs> I agree. I think Bubsy would offer a more annoying battle you know tactic but ultimately i think the pyramid head conquer duo is going to outbest it just because it's bubsy he's a bobcat who really doesn't do much except jump and uh say annoying things
3: (laughs) he does have an appreciation for james turrell I don't know how that would help. Yeah, that would
0: totally help, guys. Come on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so for our next round, Sam, it is you and I. Are you ready for your pick?
3: Yeah, who have I got?
2: Alright, you have Wario with the powers of Earthworm Jim.
3: Ooh, okay.
2: This is a pretty unique mashup right here. Alright, and I have... Diddy Kong with the abilities of Peach.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my. Alright. <laughs> Here we go.
3: Earthworm Jim. He's. I mean, Jim himself is lacking in powers. We we the suits okay though, I guess?
2: Um, yeah. <laughs>
3: So, oh, this is a tricky one. Give me a sec to do a little bit of research.
2: Yeah, no worries. Do you want me to start off this round then?
3: You, hmm, I'm just, so, (laughs) I I, I just need some help understanding the contest, I suppose. Earthrim, I know he can manipulate his body, I guess, use himself as a whip, but I don't know if Wario can... Do that with his <laughs> rounds.
2: Well, the thing is, he can now, despite his physical appearance. Wario can do that.
3: <laughs> okay, so we're this is basically Wario in his super form at all times because he's got the super suits from from Jim. So he's got even more strength. If you think this suit was able to give a a lowly earthworm incredible strength. Then Wario, who's already ridiculously strong, is now off the charts. Wario can survive all sorts of Wario's basically invincible already. Um when he's attacked by enemies in in the Wario Land series, he he often just he's hurt and embarrassed, but he's never often actually damaged he, he just um he might be squashed and that helps him get into gaps and set on fire and that helps him move faster but he doesn't often seem to be hurt so now this super suit is making that even increasing that and of course he gets like a, a, a gun as well he's also got a weird stretchy body which i assume can only make wario's farts even more potent <laughs> Just by stretching up his intestines in in weird combinations to really stir those gases up. I I think this is a real force to be reckoned with.
2: Oh, man. Alright, so here you've got Diddy Kong, and, you know, he's this little monkey we all know and love. And he's got this great attitude, and you just give him super... Princess, like, borderline magical girl powers. (laughs) You know, Peach never has... Peach has these magical girl powers, basically, where she's got, like, you know, her parasol, all of her little heart powers that she gets from various Mario games. And also from Super Princess Peach, she can harness her emotions as well, so you know, now Diddy Kong can harness his emotions. Uh, All of... You know, the happiness he's experiencing, or even the anger when he gets into a fight, he can harness that and, like, create, you know, elemental damage to Wario, which, I mean, unfortunately Wario's still, you know, a human, so... Diddy Kong still has that upper hand with, like, being able to harness his anger to make fire and stuff. I think in that aspect... Diddy Kong here has a pretty good upper hand. Princess Peach is also like royalty, so if need be, Diddy Kong can now pull the Diplomatic Immunity card, and I'm not sure if that would win in a battle, but it might win in a social fight. So that's why I think Diddy Kong would win.
3: That's really sad that... Diddy Kong wasn't able to harness his emotions before he got the abilities (laughs) of Princess Peach.
2: Um, Well, now now he can use them.
3: I retort with, a cow just landed out of the sky and squashed you. (laughs)
2: Um,
3: (laughs) Which is an actual thing that happens in the day-to-day life of Earthworm Jim.
2: Oh, dang it, you're right. I'm sure Diddy could jump away fast enough. I mean, Peach has like floaty abilities. Now, Diddy Kong, he can jump and float. It doesn't make sense, but he can float.
3: It makes sense so long as Diddy's wearing a, a princess dress.
2: You know what? I support that.
3: Me too. I know where my vote is.
2: Alright, go ahead.
1: This isn't as much as something that Wario can do now, as much as something that Diddy can do. How old is Diddy? I think he's like what?
3: He's, a, he's a fine young man.
1: <laughs> 12? Have, have you ever seen a 12-year-old try to harness their emotions?
3: Oh, God.
1: It, it ends in total oh. disaster. Have you ever... It's, just think about... I, I was once a junior high school. Boy, you do not harness your emotions well. <laughs> you just It just ends up in confusion, and any attack that he would do, it'd be like the classical confusion trope he would end up hitting
0: himself. Oh, no. Oh. That's (laughs) devastating to hear, honestly, and way too real to me in real life. So I am going to have to go, just speaking more to Wario Earthworm Jim in terms of their abilities... I have to go with that because emotions aside, abilities aside, abilities to connect with yourself aside, you're. You can't really do anything when Wario just lets loose and fills the atmosphere with that (laughs) potentness because that. I feel like there's like a basic hierarchy of needs here. If we were to go back to Psychology 101. Where the emotional aspect doesn't even get met because your physical state is so thoroughly threatened by Wario's, Wario Earthworm Jim's appearance before you. And laying on the ground, quite literally, this horrid stench that overtakes you. And so I think that's just deadly, and that's like perhaps the deadliest force we've talked about today, so... I'm gonna have to go with that as the as the winner.
2: I think that's ultimately fair. Thank you, boys. Uh Wario Earthworm Jim is a pretty potent mashup.
3: So recently Nintendo revealed that they're bringing a new generation of Pokemon to the Nintendo Switch and they revealed this in a trailer showcasing the new Galar region which is most likely based on the Great Britain where I'm from but it got me wondering what is your guys favorite memories and favorite experiences in various Pokemon regions. I wondered what you thought made a good Pokemon region. What? didn't make a good Pokemon region and just basically your favorite experiences in the Pokemon world. We started off with four regions based in different areas of Japan, um, in Kanto, Johto, what is it Hoenn? And I never remember the fourth one when we'll get to that. <laughs> uh-huh. Then we had the fifth one, Unova, which I only recently learned was based on New York City. Kalos is very French, and we've had Aloha, which is possibly the most different, unique region so far, with a whole new culture and, and way of living with Pokemon. What, what was your guys' favorites? So my
0: favorite was the Nova region, and that's partly because black was so good that it just made such a huge impression on me. In addition, I just really like cities. So the bigger the city, the better in general, just in life. And so a region based around one gigantic big city is kind of awesome. That combined with the good story with... I think there was a whole huge post-game component to it that just made, made a huge impression on me. And so I think Unova is by far my favorite. And in addition, I would add that in general... The notion, well not the notion, the trend that of Pokemon regions being based on little segments of Japan is kind of cool and educational. It's just more meaningful I bet to Japanese players but when they choose world locations just around the world that everyone kind of knows on the same level except for maybe the local residents. I think that's just more, more relatable somehow. I've always enjoyed that as just a differentiator, like doing a a region based on a section of Japan one generation and then doing something based on some other part of the world, that's pretty cool too. And so I just like that diversity, I guess. And so yeah, for all those reasons and more, Unova's stolen
3: my heart. I really liked Kalos up until that hub city where I just got so lost and so confused all the time. I like the idea of, of a of a, a center city where everything congregates. But I just got so lost in Kalos' main city. I loved Aloha, though. I love the concept. I love the four different islands um, with their unique geography. I like how they, they live differently with, with their Pokemon. It feels like a, a different culture. And it's nice when it's sunny. It's, It's nice when things are bright and sunny and with beaches. It just makes me happy. I've never beat a Pokemon game. I
1: put a couple hours into Pokemon Diamond, and it was okay. I didn't really care for the gameplay. That being said, I absolutely love the Pokemon world, and I really, really want to be able to get into a Pokemon game. And I probably will be getting into... I probably will be getting Sword and Shield especially if they take away random encounters because I love the idea of building teams. It's one of the things I love. I've really, really fallen in love with about the kind of the JRPG genre is being able to craft a team. I really like that concept in Pokemon because you don't just have, you know, the set traditional classes. You have so many types of these little creatures that you can really craft, you can give them each abilities. And you can really, you can really give your team a unique essence. That being said, this is not about my complaints with Pokemon. This is about the regions. I'm really looking forward to the Great Britain region, but my favorite it ha- is my favorite that I've seen so far is the Aloha region, and I really wanted to get into that game, but I I just couldn't yet. And I just love Hawaii. I love the tropical forest. I love the water. I don't like going in the water, but I love looking at the water. And you can look at lots of water in Pokemon Sun and Moon. And I just love the atmosphere that it gives. That just kind of this charming... It allowed them to create Pokemon that are really based off of the region. And that kind of personified the sunny, the bright uh, spirit of the Aloha region. I found that so unique that they craft it, even if it was cheesy at times. I really love the Pokemon that came from the Aloha region because it felt that everything was connected into one perfect bundle. And I really like that concept.
2: So I, yeah, I agree. I love the Alola region. Um, I think it's great. I never got to play Sun and Moon either. But I'm going to go with a little bit of a different region. It's very hard for me to pick region, in all honesty. But I am very partial to Hoenn. I don't know why, but for some reason, it's just very familiar to me for some reason. There's a lot of water edge towns where you can do fishing and stuff like that, uh, which I really enjoy. Um, Water type Pokemon, I guess, which might kind of contribute to that, and I enjoy surfing around. I don't enjoy the amount of random encounters you get while surfing around, but I think it's got a pretty fun variation of cities. I like that there's one city that's basically kind of floating in the water. I like Pseudopolis. I think it's a really cool um, like concept for a city. It's basically one that is made out of a crater, and it looks pretty cool. I enjoy it a lot. There's also, uh, you know, there's a city in the treetops, and there's one in a volcano, practically. I like that a lot, and I really like the Hoenn region. I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion. I just like it. Um, I like the starters. I think it's a good, wholesome little region. With a small shout-out to Johto region uh, from the Gold and Silver era, I like the kind of old uh, temple I like the old influence of it with um, old ruins, almost in different areas, uh, especially in Pokemon Crystal. Those are probably my top two.
3: I like Johto as well. I like the um, the history that that region has. Yes. And I know, like the the tower, but that it's built with the this the swinging pillar in the middle, a Bellsprout Tower.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love that tower.
3: Yeah, based on earthquake buildings, I think, in Japan, but they retrofitted it to be based on Bellsprout in the, in the, in the Pokémon world. I thought that was really clever of making an annoying Pokémon an iconic feature of that world.
2: Yeah, I kind of have... I, I like Bellsprout because Bellsprout is such a goofy Pokémon, so I thought <laughs> Bellsprout Tower, you know, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious and wonderful.
3: Kanto as a as a proving round is the first one and is the one people have spent most time in due to its two remakes. Now I think it's a it's a great first try and it being a bit samey is okay for that region because it's got quite no- normal Pokemon. There aren't very many um, extreme variants of the different types. There's a lot of, oh, li- literal normal type Pokemon and Pokemon that are quite simply based off of real animals without other features tacked on no snails which also are fire type no your 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 frogs are water type and your plants are grass type so it suits that region but i i like the way it splits late in the game that you pass the main city but don't have access to it multiple times before you can finally get in the way you have two different ways of t- um Reaching the the South Fuchsia City, the Safari Park is a cute idea. Some of the abilities, the Hidro Progress, are annoying. Having to waste Flash on a Pokemon, <laughs> and it's it's, a, it's unforgivable. But it's a, it's a nice first one. It's nice training training wheels for the series. Um, what do you think makes a region frustrating or unforgettable? People talk about the, the linearity of a region. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or not a big deal as people make out?
1: Here's what makes a bad region. Caves. Lots and lots of caves that you have no way of navigating through. That is just insufferable, and that's what I hated. That's, that's where I lost interest in Pokemon Diamond. I was doing pretty good until I hit the caves, and every five steps it felt like I hit a Zubat, and then after <laughs> that, it, it just—I lost. I—I I ended up going to a town that I wasn't supposed to yet, and I got stuck, and I got really confused, and I just—and that's not so much the region, because how much does the region connect to the map? And I think that's a little bit hard to say in the older games, because you know you have this concept idea of the different uh, of the map layout but then you have to put that into a game boy or a ds game and it's a little bit hard to do with the newer ones it's i mean three in almost 3d in pokemon sword and shield it's really easy x and y same things alpha sapphire etc any region where it gets easy to get lost and it just kind of becomes overwhelming with how much so, I don't, I, wanna, I don't think linearity is a bad thing in the Pokemon games, especially when you're starting out. I think it's almost, it, without that linearity, it's really, it's too easy to get lost.
2: I'm gonna kind of go off of that a little bit, and I will agree that, okay, here's the thing. I actually do enjoy Pokemon Diamond slash Pearl, but I played Diamond quite a bit. I I'm still not 100% sure why I really like a lot of what Diamond has to offer, including like the beauty pageants and stuff, but as a region, I'm honestly not a fan. It feels a little bland for as far into the series as it was. Like, the cities didn't feel super unique. Like, in Hoenn, you have harbor towns, towns in treetops, towns that are floating, towns in a volcano, whereas... In Sinnoh, you just kind of have city, 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 and maybe like one weird gimmick, but they don't feel super, super unique. That and the mountain regions. You have to walk through a lot of caves and a lot of mountain regions where there's a lot of random encounters and a lot of zubats, and it gets really annoying. That being said, I still do enjoy Diamond. I have no idea why.
0: I rather like linearity, and for Pokemon, that's because the story is super important to me. Now, you could have a more free-roaming, less structured approach, perhaps like we saw in Kanto, Kanto, because you are able to, I think, pretty much do uh, gyms, what is it, 4 through 6 in any order, I think that's how it kind of was. And perhaps it's even looser than that, come to think of it. I don't remember. But that wasn't all that valuable to me. And when I would do them out of order, it was kind of accidental. And then I kind of wanted to know, what was the story like? If I had done it in the exact order the designers had intended? Or is this what they had intended? But basically, if you did gyms by the number, by their number, it was it was the most cohesive, sensible way to understand the story and its trajectory. And that's what made the game fun for me. So when they, when they make things linear, like they did in Black, for instance, that's awesome. And that makes for a really, really strong story where they can insert a lot of really rich narrative elements. Now, problem is they haven't really done that since black black was a bit of an anomaly black and white there's always a story in pokemon obviously but it's not usually so densely packed like it was in black white and so because of that i guess you can kind of loosen up the linearity if you want my preference though is just just keep it in a in a step a b c d fashion because that just makes it more fun for me personally thank you for joining us for the first episode of video game showtime if you like what you heard make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast hosting service you can follow us on twitter as well our handle there is at vg showtime or you can visit our website which is Videogameshowtime.com for more video game commentary. And you can follow me at Michael R. Swenson on Twitter. Where can we find you guys?
3: I'm Ketchup the Duck. No, I'm not. I'm Ketchup the Duck on Xbox. I'm Sam P. Lockhart on Twitter.
2: You can follow me on Twitter as well
1: at Haynes Sarah. And you can follow me on Twitter at ACL Haynes.
0: Thank you, Hinshi, for the music throughout the podcast. You can find them at Hinshi.us. Please check them out. And thanks once again for joining us for the first episode of Video Game Showtime. We'll see you guys next time.
3: Diddy will just be tripping around everywhere. Monkeys can't walk in dresses.
2: No, they can't at all. That's why
3: Tiny wears a jumpsuit and Dixie just doesn't wear any pants.
2: Um, Yeah, you're right. There's not a single Kong that wears a dress. Diddy can be the first. (laughs)
3: I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not forbidding them from wearing dresses, I'm
2: just... Uh... <laughs> oh no, I know.
0: <laughs> wow, that's actually a bridge that hasn't been crossed yet. I don't know what they're doing with themselves over there at Nintendo, but they really need to get a dress on a Kong somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna edit that so that's the first thing that people hear when they start the podcast without context.
3: <laughs> oh god. Yeah. Nintendo, we've got we've got <laughs> oh, no. Mario in a wedding dress <laughs> this year, we got we got Link cross dressing in Breath of the Wild. I we want some we want some Kongs and some dresses <laughs> in the next in Donkey Kong Returns three.